Hi, I'm Pete Krull, and welcome to the uh, our new podcast, which is called uh, Dollars and Change, the Expert's Guide to Sustainable and Responsible Investing. This is our first episode, and I'm really, really excited to have my friend Ed Begley Jr. Uh, on with me today. He is a legendary actor. Um, but what we're going to be talking about today is his uh, environmental advocacy and his sustainable advocacy work. And so, Ed, thank you for uh, inviting me to your beautiful house here today. What a pleasure, Pete. It's great to see you again. And I love the title of the show, Dollars and Cents. is a great title. Dollars and Change. And Change. I'm sorry, Dollars yeah, and Change. because we're here to make change. Exactly. That's a great, even better title than what I thought it was for a second. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're excited about it. And thank you for being our first guest. So I'm, I'm, I'm Happy grateful so I don't spill my tea here. Sorry. So give me a little bit of background um, in, in terms of your environmental work, your sustainability advocacy, etc. It started in 1970 with the first Earth Day. I had lived in smoggy L.A. for 20 years at that point, two decades of living with that horrible smog. You couldn't go outside and play 150 or more days a year as very, very bad. You couldn't see the mountain range. People wonder why they call it San Fernando Valley. I can see why they'd say that. No valley to be There's seen. There's nothing to be seen. You yeah. see the mountains. But uh, it was very bad. And so somebody said they're going to do Gaylord Nelson, some other people putting together something called Earth Day. And this guy, Dennis Hayes, is involved. And uh, do you want to be part of it? I said, sure. But what do you what do you want to do? He said, well, many things. But we want to clean up the air and clean up the water. I went, sign me up because I'd seen the Santa Barbara oil spill up close. Yeah. I knew how bad that was. I'd heard about the Cuyahoga River catching fire near Cleveland. Yep. I figured that's a bad sign. When rivers catch fire, I think that might not be a good thing. You think? Yeah. It's not supposed to. Not supposed to happen. And so I went, you know, let's clean up there and clean up the water. And to a certain extent, we have. Yeah. And when you think about some of your, uh, your wins, what, what would be the favorite win that you've had over the years? There's one local win in the L.A. area, the L.A. Air Basin. We have four times the cars in L.A. for 1970, millions more people. That's not the win. That's just the thing. It's, you can hate it or love it, but it's a thing. But we have half, not half, we have much less than half of the smog. Yeah. We've made it all go away. Now, there's still people are experiencing dirty air near the fulfillment centers, you know, the shipping centers, what yeah. have you, the ports of Long Beach and San Pedro. We're not saying the air is cleaner for these people. We have to fix it for them. But we've shown overall the air has gotten much, much cleaner because of the stuff we did that we thought would work and did work. Cleaner power plants, cleaner cars. It all worked and worked very well. Yeah. Um, so I had I, I saw you on an on a, uh, interview recently and you talked about three pillars of advocacy. Uh, what are the three pillars that you focus on? Thank you for mentioning that because I kind of I always knew that it was needed, but I never said it. So people thought I thought everything was solved by people like me yeah. and me buying an electric car, riding my bike or getting an energy efficient light bulb. That's all good stuff. And nobody stopped doing that. But that's just one of the three pillars. In addition, you need corporate responsibility. Absolutely. So they make the products that you can buy and they're intertied. You know, they're tied together. Of course. If people have the demand to buy energy efficient light bulbs like I do. Yep. Corporations are going to make them good legislation. Key. We never would have cleaned up the air in L.A. with me riding my bike and be getting an electric car. Right. Never would have happened. The Clean Air Act signed by Richard Nixon, of all people, <laughs> is how we got the clean air in L.A. and many yeah. other cities. 
That's what happened. Good legislation, corporate responsibility, and personal action. Those three things together. And if they make laws like they did saying there should be in California a ZEV mandate, years ago they had the ZEV mandate, zero emission vehicle mm-hmm. mandate. And they, out of it came the GM EV1, a wonderful car, which right. they later crushed. But the mandate made that happen. Who, who killed the electric car, which you exactly. were Exactly. Yes. I am very good. So that that legislation, the Clean Air Act, led to many things. The ZEV mandate led to the electric vehicle explosion that we're seeing today. All that stuff, they're all all three are connected, obviously, as pillars are. And you can't have, you know, you can't be short on one of them or things are going to topple down. You have to have personal action, robust personal action, good legislation and corporate responsibility. Three legs of the stool. That's it. Otherwise, you're going to topple. Talk about water a little bit. I know you've got a cistern here. You collect uh, water for your- Later get a few shots right out under that uh, that stone area, that kind of paver area that's, by the way, totally permeable. Mm. You could stand there with a garden hose for six hours. It would never pool, it goes straight down. But also all the area drains under all that lawn furniture and those stones I just pointed at. It's a 10,000 gallon rainwater tank. Right. Looks like a two man submarine. By gravity, it all goes down to there. There's a submersible pump in there, leads to a little spigot over there. You turn it on, you get uh, beautiful rainwater from the last time it rained. And uh, even if you don't have rainwater, I've got a gray water system too. So it works very well. And it runs all the irrigation for all the ornamentals on the property. It all comes from that wonderful rainwater tank, which still has some water in it from the recent rain that we had. I don't want to put hot water in those plants right there because it's been sitting in the sun. I've got my little solar heating device called my hose there that I don't want hot water now because I'm going to spray those young plants. So what I do is I spray it. This is very hot. Like you could take a hot shower in this. Almost burns your hand. I'm putting it down that drain. Where's that drain going? Same way the rainwater goes right out to that 10,000 gallon tank. So I'm not wasting water, getting it cool to spray the plants. You know, and we're, we're seeing lots of issues with water, obviously with the Colorado River Basin. Um, Phoenix has stopped building, you know, no new buildings going on because they don't have enough water to support the development. They have to. They have to show. I think the developers here in L.A. County have to show, too, where's that water going to come from? Yeah. Where's that sewer go- sewage going to go to? Where's the rainwater, the runoff going to, from what we paved, where's that runoff going to go to? We have to demonstrate these things. We should not be allowed to build. Right. Um, you, you talked about corporate responsibility earlier. Something that I've talked about for years and years and years is the role of the insurance industry. Uh, the insurance and the insurers, you know, they're the arbiters of risk, right? They're right. the ones who should be integrating climate change uh, and climate risk into their underwriting um you know, policies and everything else like that. So we've seen, you know, State Farm and Allstate are pulling out of underwriting new houses here in in California. We're seeing farmers down in Florida. What do you, I mean, what are your thoughts on that side? You know, do you think that they're going to continue to to do this and that that will ultimately influence policy, uh, like like governmental or legislative policy because of that? It should. It certainly got my attention years, decades ago when Hurricane Andrew, Hurricane Rita, Hurricane, you know, all these different hurricanes came through and the insurers started to say, we're not going to cover things the way we used to. The Reinsurance Agency of America started talking about climate change decades ago in a very meaningful way because they were writing the checks. They said, yeah. we're not going to keep doing this, gang. Get used to it. Now, with the wildfires, how many times are they going to rebuild in Paradise or in Malibu? Absolutely. I would be thinking about building out of steel, which we did here. If I was going to build not a grand structure like this, a very simple one-bedroom house, mm-hmm. build it out of steel, no termites, you know, no mold damage. It's better in an earthquake because it's metal screwed together rather than nailed together, which nails can come out with an earthquake. 
So it's good in every way. And certainly with the fires we're going to experience, I would be building out of steel. And if I was an insurance company, I'd really consider, you know, insuring somebody to build their house for the third time in a in an area that keeps getting burned. I wouldn't be doing it. And uh, reinsurance rates are up 50% this year over last year. Sure. And it's interesting because a lot of the reinsurers, you, you mentioned reinsurance of America, but a lot of the reinsurers are based out of Europe. The, right. Uh, Swiss Re and the Munich Re. And Europe, as you know, tends to be ahead of us on a lot of environmental policies, which is nice to see. So maybe that can drive some change from that perspective. I hope so. Another person I never thought I'd really rely on when I was a younger man for data, but they had good data decades ago on climate change is the Pentagon. Right. Oh, they're, 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 they have a big push because they understand where the global you know, conflict absolutely some of their uh, naval ports were at i think some of the naval ports are at something called sea level i'm pretty sure some <laughs> of them are at very close to sea level and so the upheaval that they're going to go through with these naval installations you know with the sea so, level rising the way it's going to it's it's bad in every way yeah and many people knew about it we're finding now that some of the big oil companies knew about it they were starting to consider re, you know, changing things at their refineries to deal with what they knew was going to happen, yet they continued, they continued to say it wasn't happening. That's Absolutely. Unfortunate. And, 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 and we can't hold them liable for it, which, or, I mean, we're tr some people are trying to hold them liable, but, yeah. you know, because Good luck of, with that. Yeah, good luck with that, exactly. I, it's nice to see, I know up in Montana, there's a lawsuit with young people um, right. suing the state to... Uh, you know, implement climate change policies, and it's because it's of nice the stolen future. You exactly, know. exactly. Yep. Um, speaking of future, so one of the things that I'm really adamant about when I put together a sustainability portfolio is I believe biotech is an important part of that because I truly believe that a healthier society is a more sustainable society. I agree. Talk about your Parkinson's and some of the biotech that's been sort of uh, you know integral to that. Yeah, I had Parkinson's back certainly in 2004. I don't know what it was. It was just something I was experiencing all these things. I lost half my sense of taste and smell. I had trouble with my balance and uh, I had a little bit of tremor and what have you. And they thought it was a brain lesion. We investigated that. It was not that. So everybody thought I got some sort of virus or something. Then 2016, I was diagnosed but I started doing stuff. Of course, I'm doing the AMA-sanctioned carbidopa lividopa. Works very well. To get Parkinson's at this point in time, you're fairly lucky because there's a lot of help you can get, and I'm doing that. But my wife looked into it and found other things that also help a lot. Glutathione works wonderfully for people who have neurological challenges. Something called NAD. I can't remember what the N, the A, and the D, but it's a chemical name that uh -huh. look up NAD, Parkinson's, or NAD, uh, neurological uh, healing or something, uh, just look up NAD and you'll find it. Or also uh, hyperbaric chamber helps a lot to have okay. an oxygen infused hyperbaric chamber helps and stem cells. There's a place down in Mexico, sadly, you can't get in this country that does some very effective stem cells. And I go down to Tijuana and get that off. And so here I am having had Parkinson's since 2004, almost 20 years now. You never know. And I could pass a sobriety test, I wow. think. I could probably touch my nose. <laughs> Well, I've got a large nose, so that's unfair. <laughs> I have an advantage there. Oh, that, that's great. It's like we're on a Christopher Guest uh, um, set I love here. those movies. I pray he does another one. I, 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 Whether I, or not he puts me in it, I just want him to do another movie. Absolutely. Well, I think you can. You, you know him better than I do, so you can probably lobby him for, for another one. I'm going to start lobbying. He wants to just go fly fishing at his place in Idaho, but well, that let's all nice gang too, up on him and make him do it again. <laughs> so... Um, Talking about, speaking of celebrities, you know, um, 
you know, people like Jane Fonda, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Ruffalo, even like Alan Alda, who's done the um, science communication work that he's done. Um, so a lot of celebrities who have been pushing an environmental agenda. Um, do you think that that work, and, and obviously including yourself, do you think that the, the celebrity pressure is um, you know, actually making a difference? Uh, a, B, what else can be done um, you know, in terms of uh, you know, what Hollywood is doing to, to really help advocacy and help sustainability and, and climate change awareness? I think it can help. I think we as actors or celebrities in any field, law, medicine, sports, anything, people who have the voice, you occasionally are given the microphone, the megaphone, you want to use that responsibly. You don't want right. to cry fire in a crowded theater, but also you don't want to do this. You don't want to cry fire and panic people in a crowded theater, but if the fire marshal taps you in this, yes, what is it? There is, in fact, a small blaze in the basement. We have to slowly, row by row, make people uh, leave the structure. So am I going to then just do a song and dance? Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say we have to row by row. We think there might be some danger in the basement. And I would say that the fire marshal are the PhDs who study climate change. Michael Mann, James Hansen from NASA. Yeah. They've been tapping us on the shoulder for years saying we have a problem with climate change and we're not listening. They want us to just do a song and dance. You're an actor, act. Don't talk about the scientific stuff. I don't want to talk about it. I want to introduce the scientists so they can talk about it. Yep. People with PhD after the name in this field, in climate change, not in some other field. I want, I, of course, I admire any PhD, but I really specifically want to hear most from people who have a PhD in climate change and associated things. Yep. And so that's the fire marshal. We have to listen to them because we have some danger. And now it's getting more and more real with what we're experiencing. We all feared this would happen, but I really never thought it would happen this strong and this quick. And here it is. Well, uh, so my wife is a scientist as well, and she works on science communication. Oh, and great. so that's a, that's a wonderful aspect of what she's doing, because in general, scientists aren't very good at communicating what they do. Right. They're, they, they, because they're, they're not necessarily trained to do that. They're trained to think about you know, the science and the research that they're doing. And so you know, the more that we can get people who are trained in communication, you know, like actors, like scientists who actually gone through, like, like Alan Alda's science communication boot camp, different things like that, right. we can spread the word even more. And we must. We have to communicate with people because people somehow think it's all some hoax or some other agenda. I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of it. Not much, I can tell you, but we have to we have to get through to people better. We have to do a better job of communicating. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. Do you think that there's a role um, in terms of the, the, the production side in, you know, I'm not talking about like the day day after tomorrow or you know movies like that which right. are which are a little bit on the crazy side, but really trying to integrate things into production about you know like for example the way you live here. Um, do you see an opportunity in uh, shows to have uh, recycling and you know all the different things that are that are environmental based? Yeah, if you weave it into the story properly, I think it can be very very effective. You know, you can. Get in there subtly with just recycling going on in the background or there's something people are living in an energy efficient way. Yeah, I think, you, you know, the way that uh, there's a great movie called Chinatown and it's not about the water crisis in L.A. of many years ago where they stole water from the farmers in mm -hmm. the Owens Valley. It's kind of about that, but that's not, it's a murder mystery. Okay. You know, and so. But it's it, integrated into it's it. It's integrated yeah. into it so effectively. And so it made people, many people that are not aware of what went on with water many years ago with Mulholland and all of those folks made them aware of it. So I think we can do it if you weave it into the story properly. And there's some great writers out of there who've done just that. Yeah. Who need to be having a job right now too, by the I way. I know. I hope they solve that quick. Oh, My I God. do too. I do too. Um, 
so I just want to transition a little bit into sustainable investing. And, you know, how important do you think uh, investing in sustainable? So let me back up just a second. So there's a big push for ESG, this environmental social governance um, aspect of investing. The problem with that is what we find is the big companies, the Black Rocks of the world, simply reduce their exposure to ExxonMobil or reduce their exposure to right. Chevron in there. And they make what I, what I call uh, less bad portfolios. Right. Um, we look at sustainable investing as being positive, as um, integrating solutions. Uh, that's what sustainable Fantastic. investing is to us. So what are your thoughts on, on integrating sustainability and resilience into, into like an investment portfolio? I think we have to do it. Just, just look at it holistically and make it part of it in every possible way. You know, I started doing this back in 1970, and I can promise you it's been good for my fiscal portfolio, you know, my financial, pro, port, my financial uh, standing for many, many years because I did it in a fiscally responsible manner. I didn't go out and buy solar panels I couldn't afford in 1970. They were crazy expensive in Absolutely. 1970 and hard to find. And not as efficient. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't go buy some 1970 exotic electric car. It didn't exist back then, so I couldn't buy it. But I did everything in a fiscally responsible manner at each each stage of these different investments and reinvestments, I saved money and yep. moved up the ladder and could do not just pick the low hanging fruit, do the cheap and easy stuff, riding a bike, public transportation, energy efficient light bulbs, energy saving thermostat, did that, then move up the ladder, I'd get a little rain barrel to collect some rainwater. I got a little solar oven. Yep. After 20 years of, no, 15 years of doing that from 1970s, now 85, I put solar on my roof when I lived in Ojai then, a beautiful town called Ojai. I put solar hot water. I wasn't ready for solar electric yet. Mm -hmm. It was still hard to find and yep. problematic with the inverters at the time. But 1990, things were finally ready. And I got solar electric in 1990. I've never looked back. It's been great for me. You know, the pride of it, environmentally, it's been good. And also financially, I have very low bills here in this beautiful house because of all the choices I made. This is a LEED Platinum home, and you know about LEED. Yep. There's silver, gold, and platinum ratings. And for the folks who don't know, it's like a mile per gallon rating for a car. It's a mile per gallon rating for your house. Yep. And so we did all that. We achieved LEED Platinum, and now my kids and grandkids could live here uh, very cheaply because of the decisions we made years ago. Yeah, we've got, we have solar and batteries at our house. Fantastic. Driving a Tesla. So 90% of the time, we're, uh, I'm driving around on sunshine. Fantastic. Which I absolutely love being able to tell people that. So last question for you here. So, you know, we continue to see the, the headlines about, you know, wildfires in Hawaii and, you know, hurricanes hitting California, which hasn't happened in 80 some years. Exactly. Um, you know, in a world where we're starting to see the climate crisis actually start to affect us, how do you maintain hope? I do it in this way. I don't lie to people when people ask me, Point blank, are we, is it going to be fine? Is everything going to be okay? I'll, I say the truth, which is some of it is. Yeah. We, it's now about saving the half of it that isn't so compromised it can't be changed. There's an amount of CO2 in the pipeline. There's an amount of damage that's been done. We're going to lose a lot. But let's save that amount that's left to not take action now and lose everything. Absolutely. So our kids and grandkids have nothing like the life that we grew up with. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just morally uh, bankrupt. So we have to do it for our ancestors, you know, for, our, I mean, for our children, for our offspring. And it's, we sit here today because our ancestors did behave in a, uh, an environmentally sound manner more than they did not. There was 
great environmental damage done over many years, but there was more good things and bad. We wouldn't sit here hydrated and clothed and fed. You know, so we need to do that so our kids have a shot at that. Otherwise, they're going to judge us very, very harshly. Yeah, and, and rightfully they should, because we've, we've known this is coming at this point. And so now it's really about bringing together as much on the sustainability side as we can. So reducing our emissions, reducing our water, reducing as much as we can, but also knowing that climate change is going to hit us. So we have to be resilient in the face of that as well. Exactly. Ed, thank you so much for your time today. What a treat, Peter. And um, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. So, Ed, one thing that we forgot to talk about when we were doing our interview is you have a new book coming out. I do. To the Temple of Tranquility in Stepan. <laughs> Tell us about the book. It's a lovely memoir of uh, a good deal of my life. The publisher wanted this picture and I fought them on it. I went, I don't look anything like that for many years. I didn't know that a lot of the book is about this guy, not the guy you are today. More like this is me, kind of today. So, it's a, a bunch of very... I hope amusing Hollywood stories and some ones that are not at all amusing. And uh, it was very cathartic to write it. I certainly enjoyed it and people are reading it and starting to enjoy it themselves. So it's available for pre-order right now at Amazon. Excellent. Thank you. I look forward to reading it. Thanks a lot, dude.